Representing political party Team for a Livable Vancouver, our guests Grace Kwan and Stephen Roberts are here today to discuss some central issues affecting Vancouver residents. Grace joins us as co-founder and CEO of Hydrogen in Motion. In 2018, she was recognized as one of BC's most influential women in the world of STEM by BC Business. STEM, of course, standing for science, technology, engineering, and math. Her passion for the revitalization of Chinatown and the preservation of culture, history, and economic development is best displayed through her work as an activist and a solutionist to issues affecting the downtown east side. Earlier in his career, Stephen worked for large global financial institutions such as Merrill Lynch, ING, and Citibank. This experience provides team with a unique insight on budgeting and the complexity of cities' finances. After living far away from our West Coast waters in places like New York, London, Hong Kong, and Toronto, Stephen returned to Vancouver with a fresh perspective and new approaches to solving city issues. With mayoral candidate and former Coastal Front guest Colleen Hardwick leading the party, team wants to make evidence-driven decisions that will make Vancouver a more thriving and livable city. Folks, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So before we get started in uh, going into the topic of the downtown east side safety and compassion with yourself, Grace, and, and of course, Stephen, if you want to uh, coin in, let's first for the listeners and viewers who aren't familiar with your name, maybe they're not even familiar with the, the brand of, of, of Team Livable Vancouver. Can you tell us a little bit about yourselves in your own words and about the party? Myself, um, I'm Grace Kwan. I, I'm a resident of uh, Gastown. My mother-in-law uh, and stepdaughter live in Chinatown. So I, um, I visit them uh, fairly frequently. So I'm crossing um, Hastings Street and the downtown east side probably twice or three times a week. And it is the worst I've ever seen it. Um, and it's incredibly uh, dangerous to, to try to traverse it um, the, with the people on the streets, the tents, the uh, paraphernalia and uh, a whole bunch of things that are really unmentionable. Uh, it really makes traversing uh, the downtown east side uh, incredibly, incredibly stressful. And so that crisis in the downtown made me, uh, inspired me to, to run for um, office. And the reason I was asked is because I have uh, a secret background. So prior to being a founder of Hydrogen Motion, I worked for the federal government. I was the senior advisor to the CFO of the Treasury Board. Uh, of Canada. We manage Canada's $250 billion budget. So I'm uh, very used to bureaucracy. I uh, ran the Center of Excellence for Grants and Contributions, and so I know how to bring together multiple levels of government. So that's uh, that's our secret sauce. Stephen, how about yourself? Thanks. Um, I'm here today because um, in addition to my financial background, I've lately been more involved in community nonprofit organizations, primarily in Vancouver as the president of the Vancouver Hospice Society for five years. Um, and un during that time I was at the hospice, we encountered a rezoning development that affected the very existence of the hospice. Um, right next door, they planned to build a large development that would have possibly forced us to close. And this was a community facility, for those of you who aren't familiar with hospice, where you can go in your final days of life, your family can come to you, and you can be looked after in an atmosphere that's uh, second to none, really, for somebody in a, in a very tragic and difficult situation like that. So um, we were confronted with this, and and. I was frankly 
uh, surprised at the response from the city. So I wanted to get involved because hospice for me is pretty important. It's pretty important that the community facilities that we build that are supported, funded by our community should be protected in a city like ours with compassion. So I'm here in addition to a financial background that um, I think you spoke about earlier, Andrew. I was at Merrill Lynch and Citibank. My training is in economics. Um, I worked for Coopers and Librand in their tax department after university, then went into investment banking where I was the COO in Asia Pacific for uh, Merrill Lynch and Citibank and ING also, as you mentioned. Um, those things have given me the ability and the understanding of complex business models, complex um, accounting and budgetary issues, and all of those things affect the city of Vancouver right now. So. I'm throwing my hat in as somebody who wants to give back to my community and, and get involved in helping get Vancouver back on track. Okay, great, great intro. Thanks for that, Stephen. And I do remember the Vancouver hospice and that news uh, that came out, I think it was about uh, three or three years ago. 2019, so. yes. 2019, so yeah, it was a big deal. Uh, before we go into these topics, maybe can you talk for a moment about Team for a Livable Vancouver? Well, yeah, I think um, Team for a Livable Vancouver, uh, what attracted us to, uh, to this party is uh, Colleen Hardwick. So she has a background in uh, urban planning. She's the only one who uh, explained to me very clearly why city policy of rezoning is creating this land inflation, which is creating these un, uh, unaffordable housing. And uh, the spiral is, um, is creating these, uh, a really negative consequence on the city. Um, I, I never saw the root cause prior to that. And um, she's a very, very, very smart woman. Uh, I appreciate intelligence. I run a science-based organization. She's very data-based and very um, uh, all about uh, facts leading to solutions. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. And so let's let's right, dive right in. And Grace, we, as we discussed, we talked about yours first. You want to talk about uh, the downtown east side and, and, and how solutions around that. Um, Look, we have a lot of uh, candidates that will come in here at all levels of government saying, recognizing the same thing we all already recognize, uh, maybe yourself a little more so than everybody else because the amount of time you spend down there, that the downtown east side is a terrible place for a lot of uh, people. It's a, it's a it's real tragedy, tragedy. But they also come in here all kind of proclaiming that they've got a solution. And I mean, there's like literally billions and billions of dollars been spent in the downtown east side and it's only gotten worse. So uh, last week uh, we had uh, Green candidates Mike uh, Webb and Pete Fry on the show and they were both honest about the fact that the, the city has done little to help and improve the downtown east side. So my first question is, as a Vancouverite and local business owner, how and why have things gone so wrong in the downtown east side? You know, the downtown east side, what um, it, it's been neglected by the city. And um, these people living in tents is is a a, a massive fire hazard. Um, there's a, there's new drugs out there that need to be uh, lit up, they're, so they're no longer ingested, and that's why you see the rise in fires hmm. in the last uh, few weeks. Interesting. They also cause um, in a certain population um, a, a, a psychosis, and so uh, then you hence you see the rise in stranger attacks. So. Um, what has gone wrong? I think the current council um, has um, has universally abandoned the downtown east side, and I, you can see that through the fact that all the washrooms in the in the parks in the downtown east side are closed. They've removed all the garbage cans, garbage cans out of the downtown east side, basic services. So um, uh, there's uh, uh, these um, uh, not for profits handing out food 
in styrofoam and, and uh, plates, and the people have nowhere to um, dispose of the garbage, so it's all over the streets. The streets are like an open sewer. It is, it is um, untenable wow. for everyone who lives there, everyone who's trying to pass through, anyone who's trying to do a business. It is a, um, it's a crisis situation. I think it's a multi-level failure of government, not just the city. The federal government, the provincial government, the provincial government is responsible for housing, also responsible for health care, both problems that need to be addressed in the downtown east side. Right. Also, Vancouver being the warmest city, major city in the country, is a destination for people who are going to live on the street or who, who are going to come for drugs. They've heard Vancouver is a place to go where you'll be not left alone on the streets, where you can get free drugs handed out, and where the climate will actually enable you to stay there on the street. Um, we need to address that and change that. Um, team's idea is to promote a commissioner for the downtown east side who will okay. be accountable and responsible for results. So we're very focused on being able to actually do something and not just ignore the problem and let it get worse than it's ever been. Okay, that's an interesting idea. Well, my next question I think you've already almost answered, which is, is this, are city staff and local politicians treating um, the people of the downtown east side with dignity? I mean, uh, how can living on in a tent, uh, living on the street, be dignified? Uh -huh. um, it, it, the fact that they provide no services, uh, the streets um, reek uh, in a non-election month, um, and it's it's uh, it's a horrible existence for for the people of the downtown east side and for um, those those businesses that are trying to tough it out and uh, after two and a half years of COVID, trying to run a business. And sure. it's spreading to Gastown, Chinatown, and all over the city. You're seeing yeah. this that is having a depressing uh, impact on um, on residents and businesses alike. Let's talk about the police for a moment. I mean, they have to be obviously pretty active in that downtown east side. It's got to be a tough job for those uh, members of the Vancouver Police Department. Do you believe the Vancouver Police Department have enough resources to do their job properly in the downtown east side? I think, um, you know, the, the police uh, have been defanged by the current council. Um, so they have been uh, not allowed to do their job. Um, the, the fire um, marshal has uh, decreed that uh, the tents were a hazard, which they are. They have propane tanks in them. Um, there are people with uh, anyone who has a walker or a handicap cannot traverse the streets. But the, uh, the mayor has actually superseded that order and allowed the tents to remain. How is that at all uh, in line with what the services the city is supposed to provide? Mm -hmm. and, and let's not forget too, Andrew, that um, this city council voted to defund the police, to take almost right. $6 million right. out of their budget. Yeah. Um, we've spoken as team, our mayoral candidate, Colleen Hardwick, has spoken with uh, the chief of police. He's spoken with, she's spoken with the union of police and they just want to keep up with population growth. And that's not what's happened over the last five right. years. Well, and yeah, well said. Just just to put it in perspective, um, there's uh, four candidates in on ABC that all voted to defund the police, and now uh, uh, Ken Sim is saying a hundred more police. How does that reconcile between uh, what the mayor candidate says and what the voting record right. of their uh, councillors? How does that make sense? Yeah. Well, to digress, they're also a party that said they're going to get rid of the park board. Now that's right. Now they're running uh, a full slate of seven <laughs> yeah. park board. Right. So, yeah. you know, it's okay. uh, there's a di dichotomy between the truth and the action. Well, if you look at what's happening in Vancouver, and particularly in the downtown east side, it's very similar to what we're seeing happening in San Francisco. Um, we're not necessarily seeing other municipalities with the same 
despair that we're seeing in Vancouver. Do you have any take as to why, maybe it's along the lines of what you said, Stephen, Vancouver is a pretty warm city compared to places like Calgary or Edmonton. But do you have any view as to the contrast between other municipalities, major municipalities in, uh, in Canada and, and then that of, of San Francisco? I think the laissez-faire attitude of um, uh, safe supply, uh, letting people alone, leaving them alone on the street is, is uh, akin to uh, giving um, your kids candy and uh, leaving them to run the house uh, and expecting everything to run well. It, the, the safe supply is one pillar of four. And the other three pillars of prevention, treatment, and enforcement, uh, it's, it's like trying to sit on a chair with one leg. Right. It, it, uh, that's why it collapses. And so, um, you know, back to your question is... Um, Com yeah, comparing other major municipals, uh, municipalities like Calgary, you know, Winnipeg, uh, obviously Toronto, Montreal... Yeah. That to, to Vancouver, yeah, yeah, that book was about um, what's the mindset, what's the philosophy. And uh -huh. the philosophy of laissez-faire in here in Vancouver is doing a disservice to our uh, residents, our cities, uh, to uh, the businesses yeah. in Vancouver. And I think we all remember famously when the Albertan cities or their premier, I think, was buying bus passes for people to come to Vancouver. Go go there. They'll look after you there. Ralph Klein. Uh, Ralph Klein. Exactly. <laughs> um, and San Francisco is a place where uh, we've all been to, I think, probably. And some of us you know, went there many years ago and it was yeah. a beautiful city. And more recently, it's not. And even there, I think they've decided that it's time to make some changes because yeah. they recalled their attorney general uh, in the last few months um, in a public uh, recall initiative because he was being too permissive on this kind of street difficulty that's been going on and oh. it's a tragedy no yeah. question but we can't just close our eyes and ignore it yeah yeah it's it's interesting it's like it's almost like this west coast culture of of like I mean city uh seattle is very similar I, mm -hmm. I i used to spend a lot of time down in seattle got a good friend that's down there they do a lot of real estate development he said andrew i haven't been down since covid happened and it's like andrew in the last three four years it really the downtown core of seattle has really changed it's not an enjoyable place i said what, what about pike, like 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 pike place market and he said well you could go right there, but if you walk within two or three blocks, you're going to see tents, you're going to see needles on the street, you're going to see people suffering. Yeah, And it's complex, right? I yeah, mean, they complex. say, a lot of, we hear the cry, housing first, but housing first doesn't help. There's four pillars, as Grace just alluded to. Right. You know, there's the treatment, there's the uh, prevention, there's the enforcement, uh, the enforcement and, and the safe supply. If you just give housing without any of those supports for people, yeah. um, they just end up back out on the street. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a draw for them to go back out. And so we have to understand the complexities of it and do more than just provide housing. Yeah. In fact, I, was, I just did a blog with uh, Employ to Empower. Um, they operate on Hastings Street, actually, and are employing uh, people who are chronically underemployed. Um, and uh, they are in total agreement that with our approach of uh, putting everything under one commissioner, under one house, and finding the inefficiencies. Um, th there is over 200 agencies being deployed in the downtown uh, east side, as well as over a million dollars a day. I, I know when I run programs at CEDA, the Canadian International Development Agency, we did an audit on that. Yeah. How much actually uh, gets to the recipient? It's less than 25%. So wow. 75 cents on the dollar is going to overhead. Uh, I, I think well, this is also the case. This is a good lead in for my next question. So you know, on, on the, the, the team for Livable Vancouver on your website, it says that you will commit to performing a detailed audit of the downtown east side to determine the needs of the community, how much funding is being provided and who these resources are going to, which 
personally, I applaud because I agree. I think there's a lot of wasted dollars happening down there. What type of audit would you actually do? Like, is it, can you explain? Can you go into a bit more detail around that? And how long do you think the audit would take, and how much would it cost us? Well, um, I think it would be both a financial and a outcomes audit, so a performance audit, because you need to know who is. Um, we have to find out who's who, and uh, some some organizations um, have a broad mandate and are very efficient, and some are less so. So we have to understand uh, where our efficiencies and who's uh, providing um, value for service, as you do for any any service provider. Yeah. Okay, uh, Grace, let's talk a bit more about Chinatown, downtown east side. They're, they're intermingled. Um, reports this week of a stabbing in Chinatown, more broken windows, and vandalism have become the new norm. And it may sound insensitive, but it's the reality. So how would team turn this around? Well, first of all, um, I, I just walked down Chinatown just, uh, just a couple of days ago. You would see uh, maybe two out of seven um, places are closed. And um, I'm talking to some of the owners and they're closing down. People who've run, uh, been there 15, 20, 40 years. Really? And they're shutting down Ming Mo, which is a seminal uh, uh, store in, it's all over Canada. Yeah. Their flagship store in Chinatown yeah. is, is shut down. I saw that news yes, that came yes, out. Yes, it's a tragedy. This is, this is the kitchen. That's supplies. right. They, my That's wife right. buys all. Uh, I like, love their stuff. Probably yeah. two thirds of our kitchenware. It's Ming Wu. That's right. And so they're shutting down their flagship store in Chinatown. Now, why though? What are they telling you? Uh, it's dangerous. It's that um, there are people coming in, they're stealing their uh, wares, that they're um, uh, abusive and violent towards their staff. Um, they're afraid for the safety and security of their staff. Mm. Um, their windows are broken. They're um, graffiti every day. Um, there's um, human feces, I'm sorry to say this on air, yeah. uh, on their doorstep. It is a extremely difficult uh, environment to try to hold, have a business. And they're not seeing a lot of support from the city. We've met with the downtown BIA as well. Sorry, yeah. the Chinatown BIA. Yeah. They tell us that 50% of their costs that they take from their members are for security. Is that right? Another 25% to fix up stuff that gets damaged. Uh, we're now hearing that the cruise ships and some of the hotels downtown are telling people, don't go to Chinatown because you got to pass Hastings Street to get there. Wow. So we're not going to be able to revive that town if we don't do something. Yeah, it's time for action. Incredible. The city also has bought a number of properties down there, um, ostensibly to create SROs or housing, and hasn't done anything with them. Right. They sit there idle. Yes. The city. Yeah. I mean, the time for action really is now. We've watched this for long enough. Yeah. Balmoral was has been op uh, empty since 2017. They just took right. down the sign because it's a hazard, but it's actually a fire hazard. So it's been uh, empty for what seven years now, yeah. and uh, nobody's doing anything. Yeah. And. You know, um, you hear the other parties saying, oh, we're going to create housing. Uh, you had four years to create housing, right. and yet it, we see no evidence of it. Yeah. Uh, so many empty lots and, and nothing's being built. So it's great to talk, but uh, I think it's time to deliver. Yeah. That's yeah. why we're coming. Good, good, good point. Um, Ken Sim in the ABC, as you pointed out a little bit earlier, has talked about um, adding more police officers to our police force. Um, is that the simple answer for Chinatown? Not so much the downtown east side and, and the, the, the sickness that those people are experiencing with uh, illicit drugs. But when we talk about providing more safety for store owners in downtown east side, is it as simple as just having more cops on the street? 
I think um, the downtown east side, um, if we take a holistic approach and bring in the other levels of government and um, get the people off the streets and not have any tents, um, then the extra police it won't actually be an issue. Right. But one of the things we do uh, want to do, and it's, it's as simple as this, this team is all about pra pragmatic solutions. Okay. And one of them is about maybe um, having a self-guided tour from the uh, from the tour ships, from the cruise ships. Now there's 30,000 people who uh, exit these cruise ships every year. Um, and typically they would come to Chinatown, Gastown. Yeah. Why not a self-guided tour, a little yellow brick road, uh, take him through uh, Gastown, and I've seen so many stranded uh, tourists at uh, over at Cordova or uh, coming right. close to Hastings because they're afraid to cross, reasonably so. Yeah. That would be cleared off. They would uh, be able to um, find out about the history of the area. And Chinatown actually has yeah. a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of new um, items like the storytelling center mm -hmm. and um, put up by uh, Carol Lee's family and um, the H.Y. Louis family put out the uh, Chinatown uh, display as well. Uh, of course, there's the gardens. Yeah. So there's lots of things to see in, in Chinatown. And yeah. it's always been supported by tourist, uh, tourist uh, dollars. So we yeah. get back to that. It would be really back to the basics. That's a, that's a really it's neat, so, sim that's so a simple, idea. right? Yeah, I mean, like Vancouver has... A very rich, rich history with our our uh, Chinese uh, immigrants and, and our community, and so like I mean, there's there's a Chinatown in most towns. I mean, yep. yeah. we, we talk about Victoria; it's got a, a one, one, one block of Chinatown, but yeah. like the Chinatown of Vancouver is something else. And to let tourists see that, but uh, do it in a way that's a positive experience and exactly. not see the despair. That, that's a nice idea. The Chinatown BIA, in fact, is hoping to get UNESCO World Heritage uh, recognition oh. for the Chinatown in Vancouver. Okay. But we're going to have to do some things about uh, the downtown east side yeah. first. I mean, you can't... Um, well, there's only three detox centers operating in the downtown east side. And I'm told that it, 45 days minimum to get into one, even if you've indicated a willingness to go to one. Really? Wow. And when Ken Sims says he's going to hire 100 police and 100 mental health officers, well, there aren't 100 mental health officers out there to be hired right, right. now with that expertise. Yeah. And also, that is the provincial government's responsibility to hire nurses, not the city's. So we've really got to yeah. hold the province to account on this, too. We need yeah. their help. Yeah. But yeah. they've got to do their part. That's yeah. right. There's only about uh, 20 detox beds. So when you're want to, when you in front of a, um, a nurse and they offer you uh, a detox, and you're, you're in the moment and you're willing to take it, you have to have the bed available. Otherwise, there, there's no hope. Um, you know, the addiction's uh, up and down, an emotional roller coaster. Mm -hmm. So when, when someone's ready to go, you have to uh, have a, some, some capacity within the system to take these people in. For sure. Right. Well said. For sure. Okay. Okay, well, this is a great opportunity for us to transition over to the discussion around city decisions and land zoning um, or land rezoning, if you want to talk, uh, Stephen. So uh, let me start by making a comment. Over the last four years, I think everyone can point out to uh, several decisions made by the city where we just shake our heads and there's a lot of frustration and confusion. Um, out of curiosity, if you look at the last four years, was there any one or two decisions maybe the one about your Vancouver hospice that you can talk about that was really that impetus for you? Uh, well, yeah. So as we alluded to earlier, yeah. um, I was the chair of the Vancouver Hospice Society, and we were confronted with the rezoning application. And it was early in this council's term. It was um, June of 2019. So they were relatively green. Um, that was the one and only rezoning over the last four years that they kicked back and rejected. So they said, no, we're, the hospice is too great a 
risk to foreclosure, um, we can't accept this development proposal. That uh, one out of 240 rezoning applications. They did go back and, and yeah, get it uh, approved. But exactly. So some of the councillors at the time said, well, if you know the parking was a little less and if this was a little different, then maybe I could have supported it. So we saw the writing on the wall and we decided to work with the developer and say, you know, maybe if you did this and did that, we could, you know, come to some sort of arrangement. Right. And the developer modified their plans um, accordingly and uh, went back to city council with it again and said, uh, here we got a new plan with the hospice sort of buying into it. So uh, would you go for it? <laughs> okay. And they went for it. But the other one I really want to point out yeah. is St. Augustine School and the SRO that BC oh Housing wants to build yeah, at Arbutus and Seven. For a lot of our listeners, I'll tell you that right Big now. Big hot topic. So, yeah, so this, for, but for those who don't know what we're talking about, so this is the a school that's a St. Augustine's school. private yeah. school at right. in Kitsilano yeah. at Eighth and Arbutus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, next door to that, there's a children's play park. There's also a liquor store nearby and a women's shelter very close as well. And the proposal from BC Housing is a 13-story tower in that neighborhood, which doesn't have any towers like that, um, for 139 mentally ill and drug-addicted men. Mm -hmm. Um, Speakers from academia, from law enforcement, all came out and said, bad idea to put this many people with those challenges in a neighborhood like this. Um, The residents said, let's not do that here as well. They even offered up another plan for BC Housing to maybe do a low-cost family, single family, uh, single parent family home that they could put in the neighborhood that might work better. Um, City Council just said no. They just said no. ABC said no. Um, The NPA said, uh, she said, um, she said, uh, no, she would not approve it. But ABC approved it. The Greens approved it. The mayor approved it. Everybody went against hundreds of people speaking at the public hearings, thousands writing in except against Colleen the experts, Harvick. except for Colleen Harvick, who also said, no, it shouldn't happen. But the rest of city council voted for it. And the rest of us are scratching our heads, mm-hmm. wondering why. Yeah. So I, I guess the, the point being that this is why you're running is because you're seeing these kind of decisions being made and feel like these people are not being very responsible and some pretty... Uh, big decisions that could really impact a community. 100%. Um, Our byline at Team for Livable Vancouver is a voice for all neighborhoods because we think the people who live here and have lived here, who pay their property taxes and who contribute to their community are the people we should be listening to. Asking them what form of development should we have in your neighborhood, not just running roughshod over them. Um, We've seen evidence that there's further contempt from the mayor and from Ken Sim at ABC. Two um, all-candidates debates have been canceled this week because those two won't show up right um because they yeah. don't want to hear from a coalition of neighborhoods which is organizing one yeah. that would like to hear from people about how we're going to respect neighborhood voices as we grow and develop because vancouver for sure is growing it has been growing we're all excited to see growth in many regards yeah. um it makes our city more diverse and more interesting but it's not up to the development community to to run that growth it's up to the city hall to manage that growth and to yeah. make sure the residents are respected in that it's it's blows my mind that we have uh, like legitimate mayoral candidate uh, quorums or, or debates being set up by community members or uh, community groups and people are not sh- and mayoral candidates are not showing up. Right. Like I, I just can't believe that. I mean, it's just it makes me wonder. Like, well, what? Like, how come? Like, don't you want to? Shouldn't you be telling everybody why you should be elected? For sure you should. And Mayor, Mayor Kennedy took some heat at, a, at an all-candidates debating at the Jewish synagogue on yeah. 55th and Oak um, last week. He took some heat there. Sure, you're the mayor. You've been sitting on policies for the last four years. You're going right. to get some heat. Um, if you're not was, following what the city wants. I think wants. they went at each other uh, pretty hard, both of them, yeah. uh, the two KSs, as we call them fondly. Right. Um, <laughs> and, um, but, you know, if they don't uh, participate, then they can spin uh, our 
our message of uh, of uh, thoughtful growth into a NIMBYism. We should that's, talk about that yeah. because that's kind of the what you've been hearing from these two parties mm -hmm. is that you guys are you know anti-development. So maybe. Why don't we jump to that? Is that true? So that's name calling because they want to silence us, right? Right. They don't want to hear our voices. They want to label us with that yeah. and try to attract away from our from our program. Yeah. Our program is not about um, preventing development. We have um, a small scale developer on our team, Param Nijar, it specializes in building laneway homes and in gentle densification. Right. We want to see a city grow. We want to see that happen. We want to also hold developers to account. We've been doing all this rezoning inflating land prices in the process because every time you zone from one family or two family up to up to 40 100 families in one space you're going to raise the value of the land and that we expect money from the developer on top of that which further inflates the price of the land and the price of the units he builds right now city council currently thinks that there's a free lunch that you know the developers are just rich and and benevolent and they're just going to give us millions of dollars well they're not they're going to charge every citizen in Vancouver whatever they've had to pay to city of hall to are. get the right to build the, yeah, that, that the property that cost goes to the buyer at the end of the day there's only one taxpayer there's only one buyer at the end of the day yeah. and they're the guys who are going to have to pay for it yeah. city hall doesn't seem to understand that but one of the concrete proposals we want to bring in to help improve affordability is requiring people who are the beneficiaries of a rezoning over of a development application that increases density to actually act on it We've seen properties around the city where they've been approved. The city said, go ahead. You've got the rezoning. You've got the application approved. Yeah. And the developer does nothing. Yeah. Think of the Safeway site out at West Point Gray. Oh, I know. Sitting there a... for years now. Yeah. An anchor tenant for that neighborhood, gone. Nothing replaced it. Yeah. And the other businesses there are dying. Yeah. Because people go elsewhere. Yeah. So we propose bringing in some requirements that if once you've got your rezoning, maybe it's six months, you got to start building. Yeah. If you don't, you lose it. Yeah. Um, or if you've got a development well, application that's been approved, move on it or lose it. Yeah. yeah, you have to have the respect, the time, value of money, yeah. right? And um, you know they're um, they're not um, they're not doing these developments. They're using using our land, the city land, to speculate essentially off. Uh, and the people who have to pay for that are the citizens of yeah. Vancouver. To be a bit of a devil's advocate here, I mean, are there any decisions that uh, city council has made with respect to? Um, uh, land development and zoning over the last four years that you can apply? Is there something that you can say, well, you know, there is there is one, and it was this? Well, I can applaud, of course, the hospice rejection the first time because they hurt us. Okay. Finally. It was hard. It was really hard. We had elderly folks whose relatives had maybe died in the hospice, had to turn out three or four nights in a row for public hearings, and they approved it. Um, one other one that is a little bit off of the, off of the rezoning, which but I can applaud this council for, is finally bringing in an auditor general for Vancouver, because Vancouver is the only major city in Canada that did not have one. I know it's and amazing, and it was Colleen who brought that, and it was yeah. Colleen Hardwick who managed. Yeah. She tried many times; it was hard. Yeah. She had to do. I think there's a little horse trading involved, but she had. Yeah. To, to work with their council members and she finally got it in and got it passed. And that guy has now issued his first report, I think in early 2022. Yeah. So that I am proud of them for getting done finally. Yeah. Okay, uh, but it was Colleen who really pushed that one. Yeah. yeah. I don't think city staff really wanted that. Who wants to oh, have gosh, someone no. else to actually make you accountable? And, gosh, and, no, and no. I, I actually think that part of the reason a lot of the, the city council mayor didn't approve it, it was, or uh, didn't embrace it right away is because they honestly just don't even necessarily know how to read a balance sheet. Uh, that's all fair. Yeah. And, you know, that's a great point is that yeah. there's a lot of um, uh, not so great qualified uh, people in in, in the um, current that are running for council or running for mayor who think that running a bureaucracy is the same as running a business. Yeah. Um, I've done both and it is nothing uh, similar. 
no, we have uh, in the federal government, we're running 300,000 uh, employees, uh, $250 billion, um, public accounts, quarterly reports, um, unions, all levels of statutory and uh, other regulations that, that you don't have as a business. A business is uh, really just uh, transactional. But um, when you're doing managing the public purse, it's a much more complex, much more stakeholders, and um, a lot more thoughtful uh, debate needs to be going into these understanding these uh, financial statements. Right. We we had John Cooper, the former NPA mayoral candidate. In fact, the day that we were going to launch was about 20 minutes before we were we were launching his uh, his his interview with us with us, which was great a great interview. Uh, he announced that he was st- uh, stepping down. But in that interview, he highlighted the fact that the city of Vancouver actually owns a lot of vacant land and that this land could be used for developing projects, uh, namely around the world in the, in the form of housing. Um, why does the city not develop this land and, uh, and instead they're, they're going after these sort of controversial issues over rezoning? Like, would that not be a solution? So John was partially correct. There is a Vancouver city uh, property endowment fund. Mm-hmm. Um, and I emphasize the word endowment. It was actually set up coincidentally by Art Phillips, who was the original team mayor back in 1974. Okay. So we're, we're not that, that team, but we're, we take our inspiration from that team. Right. And that fund was set up by Art Phillips then. It's worth $7 to $8 billion now. It's um, designed to rent out its properties and, and earn income from it at a market rate. 50% of the revenues are supposed to go into the operating budget for the city, and the other is supposed to be returned to the fund. Any sales or transitions from the fund are supposed to go back into the fund itself. As I said, it's an endowment. It's for the future of the city. It's an inheritance that we're passing along <coughs> Excuse me, to our future children. You can take things out of the fund with a two-thirds vote of majority of council, yeah. um, but then that money goes back in that you, once you've sold it. So you could use it. The properties are supposed to be used for civic purposes. Ultimately, there's a long-term view there. You know, Maybe we need a new art gallery or a civic theater or something, but housing could fit into that um, with the proviso, of course, that um, you put the money back into the city's endowment fund afterwards. Now, one reason we're not doing that, of course, is that the city's addicted to revenue generation from property developers. Right. They actually have a rezoning plan. The Broadway plan, 500 blocks of rezoning, is built around how much money can the city extract from the developers every time they build something in the new Broadway plan. And this is through the form of CACs. CACs and development yeah. cost and levies. Develop- There's two types of, levies. two ways yeah. we hit the developers up, yeah. right? Um, so by doing that with the Broadway plan, you're going to get a lot more money in for the city. Yeah. Um, than to sell something that's out of the property fund, uh, endowment fund. So again, it is an endowment fund, but there are ways in which you can take land out for a legitimate city purpose. Right. So would you support that? Um, I, I'd have to look at an individual application, I think, okay. but I because I don't want to take away from the endowment fund. I think that's an important legacy yeah. for us to carry on with. Because if we empty it, then where are we at? Yeah. We don't have anything left. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I would look at every application, I think, on its own merits and make sure that the money ends up back in the fund. Yeah. Okay. But two two points on that is yeah. one is um, uh, affordable housing. Uh, doing it through the market is is not going to get you affordable housing right now. Um, the Kennedy Stewart's proposal of 80% below market rate is uh, it's 20% below below the sky. You know, uh, it's 2,500 is market for one bedroom, so it's two thousand dollars. Who can afford two thousand dollars for one bedroom? It's right. it's sky high. The uh, we should go back to CMHC 
definition of affordability, which is 30% of your income. Right. Uh, that's what the rest of Canada is using. Yeah. Uh, why does can Why does Vancouver allow the developers set a new um, target for affordability such that they can sell more units? Before you go on that, can I just add? Yeah, yeah. That the city of Vancouver staff's definition of affordable housing is anything you can rent because you don't need a down payment. When I was opposing the hospice development, we said these are going to be $5,000 a month rental units. And they said, but it's affordable because there's no down payment required. You can just move in and rent. That's what the city of Vancouver thinks affordable housing is. But sorry, Grace, it's, keep going. It's, it's a complete loud touch. Um, but um, to your point about uh, um, the endowment fund, I think we need to um, uh, we need to recognize that we have to bring in the other levels of government, so um, the provincial and uh, the federal funds to actually make affordable housing. So there is the social housing, which is, uh, uh, False Creek South is a good example, one third, one third, one third, right? Social housing, uh, subsidized housing for people who are working, and then uh, the market market rate. That's a, that's a model that worked, that was brought in by uh, Colleen Hardwick's, uh, Walter Hardwick's, um, and it's something that we could we could address again. You know, it's a possibility. Okay, good. Uh, I want to highlight a uh, policy of one of your sort of the competitors, I guess, in this race. Um, last week we had one city on our podcast, and we talked about their housing plan. And specifically, they uh, they want to um, allow anyone who owns a single family residential property to be able to uh, demolish that property and in, insert a, a four-level uh, strata building or a six-story all-rental building with no public engagement. Um, they just get, they basically you get automatic. And I actually got really specific. We talked about West 10th because I yeah. think, uh, um, while there's probably lots that you disagree on, I think the one common theme was West 10th Village and its demise with the loss of Safeway. I live up in that area and mm -hmm. Christine Boyle recognized that as well. When I asked Christine, I said, just to make sure we're clear, you look at that, say, for example, uh, West 11th, which is just south of West 10th in that area. So if I buy the third house in on a 33 foot wide lot by 140 feet, you're saying that under your policy, I should be able to just, you know, blow up that house and insert a six story all rental building casting a massive shadow over the houses next to us. And she pointed out, well, you, you, you could also build a massive house and cast a shadow anyways. So I'm going a little bit long into this one, but uh, I'm sure you're familiar with this policy. Oh, yeah. So mm -hmm. do you support this kind of idea that we should be able to allow anybody that owns a 33 foot by 120 foot lot to uh, take that home down and, re and, and rebuild with a four to six story building? Do you like that idea? <laughs> it's an appalling idea. It's completely okay. anti-democratic. It goes against everything we know about city planning and about zoning. Uh, when you buy a home, um, you're making one of the biggest, probably the, the biggest investment decision of your life. And you look to city rezoning and the neighborhood to inform your decision. Am I you know, on a major highway here that's going to be turned into uh, you know, multifamily or even commercial space in the next few years? Or am I going to go to a neighborhood and, hey, I can have some security here. I can relax and raise my children. Right. Um, maybe, you know, look after my parents when they need help as well. You're making a long-term investment decision. And that's what zoning is all about. 
zoning shouldn't be spot rezoning or just changing the purpose or use of a piece of land just because you feel like it, just because some guy can make a bunch of money. Um, zoning is about helping people make longer term investment decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and it's about businesses and it's about people, it's about individuals. And it's not acceptable to just say, okay, to hell with my neighbors. Um, right. I'm just going to build this really offensive thing. I've traveled around. Well, maybe, hold, maybe just to pause for a second. And again, I'm just to be devil's advocate here, Stephen. Mm -hmm. I don't think Christine's the kind of person who's trying to help developers make a bunch of money. Her, I think if she was sitting in the seat, she would say, well, look, what this is, what this does is it just creates more livable units on current land very quickly, this policy. And so it doesn't solve all the problems, but it does allow for a lot of homes. And there are some locations, you know, you could say, take a corner lot that's, you know, uh, on a very busy street, like we've seen what's happened in the Canby corridor there, mm -hmm. um, and turn those into something that's a much more high de higher densification. So if I was just to be devil's advocate, isn't there some some merit to that? So I think there's there's um, the narrative that we're so short of housing that we just need to destroy existing narratives, and I, I would push back against that narrative. Okay, we've been we've done 240 rezonings in the last four years, many before that. We understand the pipeline of housing is up to 100,000 units, not yet built, but already given permission and approval to be built. So the crisis is not so much that we need to approve more rezoning and destroy neighborhoods. It's how do we get the stuff built? Right. How do we ensure that developers and people applying for these rezonings get them done? Also, I have a, have a problem with spot rezoning as opposed to um, a wholesale neighborhood rezoning. So right. the Canby Corridor, in my humble so, opinion. So before you go into your... your can you explain for the listener what the difference is? So in layman's terms, what's spot rezoning versus whole neighborhood rezoning? Sure. So um, spot rezoning is something that the hospice was subject to. So we were in a, a street of single family lots along Granville Street, um, all about the same size. Uh, next door was a single family home next door to the hospice. The hospice was built on a property to look like a single family home. The developer applied to put in 21 units on that single family lot. And it was under a program called the uh, Affordable Rental Housing um, Spot Rezoning Plan. And one lot every 10 blocks was allowed to benefit from this. And so it, once the first guy got in and applied, no one else was allowed to apply. So you win the lottery, you get to build whatever you want on right. your little lot, and everyone else has to live with it. Whereas you take a wholesale rezoning or a neighborhood rezoning like Canby Corridor, and you say, okay, all the way from, I think it's 25th King Edward, down to 41st or 49th, we're going to allow multifamily units up to six stories. And that's, I think that's what, about what they are. And if you ask me, that one's kind of working. It looks nice. It looks pretty. I think it's it not looks too great. high. It Imagine. looks like Europe or somewhere. Yeah. It's uh, the buildings are nice quality. Um, it looks pretty good. Yeah. That's taking a whole area and saying, all of you have the same opportunity to sell if you wish, develop if you wish, move away if you if you if you wish, yeah. but also to stay there if you if you wish too. So the area itself is changed. Right. Not one at a time. Let's put something really objectionable next to these guys. Um, and if you do open this up, like as Christine Boyle suggested, the developer's first target is places where they can make money. And guess what? It's not the parts of town where we actually need more affordable housing. It's, hey, this le little leafy area, I can make a lot more money selling these units in Shaughnessy or Carisdale than yeah. I can make selling them over in Fraserview or Sunrise Hastings. So the developers are going to migrate to those places. Yeah. As I said earlier, we're not anti-development at all. We are in favor of growing this city. But at the city's management, not at the developer's behest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think, the, you know, that uh, it, the, what uh, Christine was talking about is the Vancouver plan. And um, it, what it is really is um, the Vancouver Special 2.0. So the Vancouver Special was a, essentially a, 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 a house that was pre-approved, a, uh, a, a structure and a uh, plan that's 
already stamped. So you come to City Hall and say, I have a lot. I want to build this house. I have the Vancouver plan. Bang, it's done. So they've taken that concept and they've rolled it into duplex, fourplex, sixplex, and a uh, 13 or six story, six story and also even higher mm-hmm. uh, 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 actual high rise. So um, it, they're cookie cutter and they'll be allowed anywhere. And what you'd get is uh, a very dysfunctional looking uh, city and very ugly. Mm-hmm. It would be all the same. So if you yeah. want the Vancouver plan 2.0, that's what, that's what, that's what it is. That's what you're going to get. One of the things I would say uh, from my times I've spent with t- talking to Colleen as well as having her as a guest on uh, Coastal Front uh, that I like is her concept of uh, you know, put, putting sort of a lot more um, voice and power back into the hands of the local neighborhoods so that, uh, you know, um, uh, a Dunbar has a different look and feel and, and Dunbar decisions are made by the people who live in Dunbar and those in Marpool have something different to, you know, for their neighborhood than those who are in commercial versus uh, the you know, um, people in Yale Town. Yeah, the pe- the houses in uh, the apartments in Chinatown has a very specific look, like the Chinese yes. uh, uh, from the uh, South South China look. Yeah. And uh, I don't think you'll want that ev- all over the city. Yeah. Right. That's so right. W- why would you have um, these these block uh, forms all over the city? Yeah. It's the same principle. Yeah. And Andrew, I don't know if you remember. Um, I don't remember them, but there used to be community offices of City Hall in every neighborhood right. where you could go in and and um, chat about potential development in the neighborhood and how you might like to see the neighbor grow. And our proposal is to bring that kind of thing back, where you go to the neighborhood and you say, we need to get another 2,000 people into this neighborhood in the next 15 years. What form of development would work for you guys that would make this work? Yeah. Uh, what else would you want at the same time? Should we rezone so we can have light retail or some small businesses as well in the same area yeah. and then build up a little bit, do more quadruplexes, do some six-story buildings? Sure. But consult with those neighborhoods because they all have their unique character. Yeah. I drove by on Dunbar yesterday night and there's one of those Christine Boyle six-story apartment block applications in the middle of the street um, south of 41st where it's all houses, all single-family houses, yeah. and there's one application for a <laughs> yeah. six-story apartment building in a single-family lot. The great thing about these community houses would also fast-track permitting. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, right now the permanent uh, regime has gone from, you know, uh, a couple months to do um, uh, renovation to two years. I've heard uh, horror stories of, of people just giving up. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you have this lo- local community, you could, you could uh, turn around the... The, um, that kind of permitting very, very quickly. Yeah. And the planning department has twice as many people as it had four years ago. But really, take twice Does it as really? long. Yeah. Wow. Okay, we're going to go into our final topic around financial accountability. Uh, as city councillor, uh, your lead for your party, Team for a Livable Vancouver, Colin Hardwick, was key in the installation of our Auditor General, Mike McDonnell, uh, who we spoke about a little bit earlier. And you mentioned the fact that he submitted his uh, first audit plan back in, in January. Um, if elected, are you prepared to act on his findings in this audit? That's why we have this guy, um, 100%. Um, it's a critical process to holding our um, elected representatives accountable to us, frankly. Um, the auditor is going in there on an impartial basis to look at things, to make recommendations about efficiency, about fraud, about waste, a whole host of issues that we as citizens need to know about, and it behooves us to follow the recommendations and fix things. And just to clarify, Stephen, that's the um, it's the uh, bureaucracy we're holding to account, not the elected officials. Absolutely. Well, yeah. after the bureaucracy, 
than the elected officials. One of my observations as I've kind of dove into the world of politics at all three levels and seen how cities work is there's almost like two two challenges here. One is you got to get enough of the right people on city council to make things move ahead. And we've had a bit of a dysfunctional city council for the last four years. Uh, but even if you did, like let, let's say, you know, you guys were going to do it. Let's say you got all your, everybody running for city council got elected and Colleen becomes mayor and you become like this, you know, uh, force that you're able to kind of push things through a majority, right? Mm -hmm. You still have to deal with this bureaucracy of city hall and a culture there that's been built over decades. You know, a lot of my observations, a lot of the people that work at city hall, especially at the higher up levels, um, kind of look at you folks as just, you know, people they got to deal with for four years and then someone else replaces you. Mm -hmm. um, how do you address the issue of, of culture in a city like that and kind of changing that course to something from, you know, uh, over, you know, bureaucratic kind of culture of like non-performance to one of like stripping it down to being more efficient? You mentioned earlier, just a few minutes ago, that the number of people in the planning departments doubled. Yeah, the, it has. In, in the last four years. It has, exactly. But it takes longer to get approvals. So how do you change that? So there's been empire building, no question. Um, yeah, and to, great description. To, to go, building. yeah, to go back into a little bit of history, as uh, Colleen would say, um, when Vision came in in 2008-9, um, Judy Rogers was the longtime city manager. She was fired right away. They brought in Penny Ballum to be the new city manager. She was a doctor, didn't have any city management expertise at all, but she had a binder this big um, that she was supposed to act on, and she started to clean house. She took out the people that were in the way of Vision's vision. Um, that situation still holds today so the same people are still in those positions because with this current council there's been no majority it's been difficult to get unanimity or even a majority view on many issues so there's been no move to to act also i would think everyone on this council is first time councillor oh no adrian carr two, is not two are to minnesota right but the other nine are all green yeah. Um, don't know the history, maybe a um, little unfamiliar with, you know, how staff works and they're relying on staff recommendations. Now, team believes in giving every opportunity to, you know, move with the times. If the people of Vancouver elect a team majority and we're in there, everyone will have an opportunity to work with us and help us to achieve the agenda we were elected to put in place. Um, if they don't, well, then we'll have to look at, you know, what we need to do to change staffing in City Hall because they really need to be there for the citizens of Vancouver, uh, not for some sort of vision that was someone else's years back. Okay. Well, I used to work in bureaucracy, and so yeah. uh, that's, that's, uh -huh. that's what I do. You know this world. That, uh, that's mm -hmm. what I do. Okay. So, um, you know. But you're, and you're also a CEO of a private business, a founder of a private business. So that's correct. Fill me in, Grace. Like, what's the, how do you, how do you change that culture? Change management is about transparency and accountability. So uh, people have to know that um, that they're, uh, what they're doing is being watched and um, uh, noted and um, that they're accountable for the actions. Uh, once you have set that process in, uh, typically you'll get the results that you're looking for. Next question. Mm. How are you going to save taxpayers' money? Well, you know, in every budget, uh, there's at least uh, 10, 15, 20% of... Um, um, non-essential goods. Uh, we've all managed our own personal budgets to know yeah. that maybe that pair of shoes is not necessary today. <laughs> yes, there, there's definitely um, always a little fat to call in every uh, every herd. Um, 
Do you Stephen, have any specific and, ideas, either of you, two of you, that you've looked at? Well, there's a lot like, of passion. There's, there's a lot of um, uh, vanity projects that are uh, on the books right now. Like for who's going to sue um, oil, big oil, for the city of Vancouver? We right. are we are a peanut compared to the behemoth. This is a federal responsibility. Yeah. Why are we taking on? Yeah, the Green Party in City Hall brought it forward as yeah. a motion and got it approved. Seven hundred thousand dollars of your. Your tax money cash, yeah. down the drain in a lawsuit against fossil fuel companies for 120 years of contributing to climate change, which actually we all participated in because we bought their stuff. <laughs> so how does that exactly advance the yeah. taxpayer? Um, right. On the website, sorry to keep going, yeah. um, that we have for team, um, someone's pulled out my bio that says, you know, we have to be very careful with other people's money. Um, I'm not sure when I said it, but I probably say it a lot because I'd rather spend mine than spend yours as a taxpayer. Because every time you want to add to somebody's budget, you have to have a really good reason why you're going to do that. Why is it? Why do you need to get more money from the pocket of this taxpayer? Taxes have gone up 25% over the last four years. And that was in a low inflation environment. What are these guys going to do next now that inflation's hit 7 8%? Yeah. And they're going to say, well, we have to keep up with inflation. Do you want a property tax bill that goes up 8% all in one year next year? I don't think so. Um, the climate change plan is $500 million, um, included all kinds of things to get money out of the, the residents' pockets, like road pricing and uh, things like that. Those kind of things are not necessary. In climate action, we all, we all want to save and preserve our environment and leave the planet better off for the future. But it's not the city of Vancouver's responsibility to spend $500 million on an action plan. It's the federal government and, to a certain extent, the provincial government's responsibility. The city can participate and work with that. But you know, we're not going to solve the climate crisis ourselves in Vancouver. We can participate. No. I was there at the Capital Plan presentation. There's no move to change the fleet of city cars to electric or hydrogen. Yes. Um, there's no move afoot there. So what's the climate change plan about exactly? And there's, Taxpayers. there's uh, $350 million downloaded from senior levels of government. So that's responsibility of the province or responsibility of federal that yeah. the city of Vancouver is taking on. $350 million. That's a lot of money. Okay, this has been a great conversation, Stephen and Grace. Uh, I'm sure a lot of other people have enjoyed listening to this. Uh, they like what they hear, they like what they see. How can people get involved? And maybe you can talk a little bit about your, your overall team at team. <laughs> so we've got a slate, a full slate of councillors, um, six of us running in, in addition to Colleen Har Hardwick for mayor. Grace and I, of course, are running. We also have Bill Tillman, who is a uh, consultant, has his own business, who might be famous for uh, leading the campaigns against the HST and against PR. There's Pram Nijar, who is a small-scale developer focusing on gentle density and laneway houses. We have Sean Nardi, who is an IT professional and manager from the financial services area. And we have Cleta Brown, who is a lawyer, a former Crown prosecutor, and general counsel to the Office of the Ombudsman. So we think we've got a slate of great folks who want to get out there and participate. I might add we're probably all reluctant counselors, but we think we need to get involved for the sake of the community and for the sake of Vancouver. Um, as Grace uh, would say, you got to get out there and vote first. Yeah, and I, I would uh, plead to you to vote uh, the team slate and only the team slate because uh, we don't want to waste uh, your precious votes on uh, other parties. Um, we need to win a majority to make our uh, really innovative um, changes, policies happen. If you want to see this change that we've talked about happen, we need to have a majority on council. Um, we believe fundamentally that the, the democratic process requires that we listen to neighborhoods and people in the city. It's up to the city's council to manage growth, not let others run it for us. Well said. Okay, Grace Kwan, Stephen Roberts, two of the six candidates running for city council in the upcoming Vancouver election, taking place on October 15th. 
You're with Team for Livable Vancouver. Thanks for being on Coastal Front today and best of luck. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for having us.